Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, Kellen, the topic of today's episode is not one that should come uh, as any surprise to you know why it's related to collapse. This is something that global warming, we, we know, is happening. We've discussed at length the effects that it will have and is having on the world. Um, and today's topic is something that's going to make global warming uh, worse, and it's El Nino. It's especially relevant right now because uh, every day that goes by, there's a higher and higher likelihood that we're heading back into an El Nino year. Obviously, we don't yet know the strength of it. Um, that will come with time. But uh, we thought it would be a good opportunity to discuss what is El Nino, why is it important, and uh, what effect is it going to have on the world as, as climate change continues on. Yeah, in fact, before we dive in too deep, let me put this in context for us. Here's a sentence from an article about El Nino. It says, back in 1997-98, a massive El Nino in the Pacific Ocean pushed global temperatures to new highs and triggered a spate of extreme weather around the world, ultimately causing some $35 billion in damage and 23,000 deaths. Now, to be fair... That was the largest El Nino on record. Um, but with, like you said, uh, climate change taking place, temperatures are rising more and more. The severity of these El Ninos is likely to get much worse. Yeah, it's a, it's a feedback loop for sure. And uh, I also expect, and we'll talk again about consequences from El Nino later on in the episode, 
but that those consequences will magnify in an exponential way uh, as as climate change continues. Awesome. So let's talk about what El Nino is. I believe it's Spanish for the Nino. Is that right? <laughs> the Nino. <laughs> yeah, Corey, you and I have both learned Spanish from having lived in foreign countries. And to me, it seems like such a funny name because El Nino is the boy or the child. So first of all, as we dive in here, you might think, why is it called El Nino? And it's because there were some South American fishermen in the 1800s. They noticed that every few years, the temperature of the water was warmer. And this coincided with major decreases in their ability to catch fish. And we'll talk about why that's the case, that when it's an El Nino year in South America, it's, it's a bad fishing year. But because this usually happened around December, uh, they started calling it El Nino de Navidad, um, which Navidad, you probably are aware, is Christmas. Or another way to translate that, El Nino de Navidad is the Christ child. So later, it became known as simply El Nino, and you might sometimes hear ENSO or E-N-S-O, which is El Nino slash Southern Oscillation. And it's something that's uh, cyclical, kind of the opposite of it when the temperatures uh, get colder in those parts of the world. They call it La Nina. Which is the female Christ child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they... <laughs> They they never they never went as far as to say La Nina de Navidad. Okay. In fact, for a while, actually, one of the terms instead they were saying El Nino was when the water was warmer, and the cyclical times where the water would get colder, they called it El Viejo, or like the old person. Anyways, but because it's kind of the opposite, they started going back and forth between El Nino and, and La Nina. Sure. So scientists. The parameters that they put around this to declare an official El Nino is when sea surface temperatures in the equatorial Pacific Ocean rise 0.5 degrees Celsius above their historical average for three months in a row. And then typically atmospheric conditions and, and rainfall patterns shift accordingly. So now that we know in general what it is, Let's dive into why it actually happens. So I have read several articles on this. And in reading these articles, the one thing I'll say is that it is complex. Yeah. So doing the research, it's like I'd read about it and I would find these terms and I would have to go look up what those terms mean. And while learning about those terms, there would be other terms I'd have to go look up what they mean. Kellen, I think I need to make a confession and it's that we we split up the episode right and we like each kind of took a part of it and i suggested the parts for this episode this time and that was primarily because i had started to research how el nino works and why and i was like no this is i can't i can't do this this is over my head i'm going to make kellen do this and uh you gracefully accepted the challenge so thank you <laughs> well i i nerd out on it like i I enjoy that part of our episodes when we've talked about like nuclear fission or whatever, being able to figure out how it works is fascinating to me. So I'll do my best. I've tried to simplify it as much as possible. 
essentially, <laughs> the sun hits the equator more strongly. And so at the equator, where there's more warmth, air rises from the surface upwards. And cooler air rushes in to replace that warm air, which creates <laughs> what we would call wind. Um, because of the rotation of the planet and what's called the Coriolis effect, the air moving around turns one direction in the northern hemisphere and another direction in the, the southern hemisphere. The movement of the air, or in other words, the wind, it creates this kind of chicken and egg situation. And I want to read just a couple of sentences from an article where somebody was describing this. The author said, So if you ask me, why are there trade winds? I will say that's simple. There are trade winds because the water is cold in the east and warm in the west. But if you ask me, why is the water cold in the east and warm in the west? I'll say, that's simple too. It's because there are trade winds. The ocean and the atmosphere are inextricably coupled together. So again, saying one causes the other, like it's a feedback loop. So when what you get is these trade winds that are driving warm water westward from like South America across the Pacific to Asia. And that warm water kind of piles up against the land, which makes it so that sea levels are about half a meter higher in Indonesia than they are in South America. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It also means that sea surface temperatures near Indonesia are about 8 degrees Celsius warmer than they are near Peru. So if you can kind of envision in your mind, this water is all moving westward across the Pacific and it's kind of piling up this warm water. That warm water, because of the warmth, it pushes heat and moisture up into the atmosphere. All of that heat and moisture rising up into the atmosphere becomes one of the driving forces behind the world's climate. It kind of sets a path for the jet streams. So it's been compared to the way that like a rock in a stream determines the water flow, right? The water has to flow around it. When you've got all this warm air rising up from that part of the world, the jet stream has to kind of dodge around it. So at the same time, when the, that warm water is being pushed west away from South America, cold ocean water that is really nutrient heavy rises to the surface to take its place. So everything that I've described is what is happening during a neutral or a normal year. Any questions so far? Nope. We're there. We're good. Okay, so then during El Nino, what happens is those trade winds slow down. So the warm water isn't being pushed west quite so much. And in fact, it, it kind of starts to slosh back. So the warm water is now closer to the like the western coast of the U.S. and to South America. And again, where that warm water is, warm air and moisture rises into the air. So that causes the, the jet stream to get out of whack. I'll quote again from an article here. The warmer waters cause the Pacific jet stream to move south of its neutral position. With this shift, areas in the northern U.S. and Canada are drier and warmer than usual. But in the U.S. Gulf Coast and southeast, these periods are wetter than usual and have increased flooding. And to me, it's just amazing how complex and intertwined the whole system is 
right? You get these winds that slow down and suddenly that throws off the, the, the whole climate for the planet. One thing that's worth noting, one of the questions I had going into this is like, why does it happen? Why do the winds slow down? And the funny part about that is we don't know. There are some leading theories out there. There's one ab about how it's initiated by the, the reflection from uh, what's called the oceanic Rosby wave that is a type of low-frequency planetary wave that moves only west. And that one I haven't dived into enough to be able to explain in detail. The other is, is that the trigger is basically random um, and that it's caused when you get these like tropical storms that develop in the Indian Ocean. And since storms are geostrophic, Again, meaning that they like rotate clockwise in the southern hemisphere and counterclockwise in the north. Those storm winds at the equator always blow towards the east. And if the storm is strong enough and it lasts long enough, then maybe that's what causes the winds to kind of change direction a little bit or slow down. And that's where you get the ocean sloshing and everything starts to feed off of each other. So nobody knows exactly why it happens. But when it does happen... And by the way, whether it is El Nino or La Nina, it typically lasts between 9 and 12 months. Sometimes it can last for years, though. And there's not really a good way to predict that. How frequently does it take place? Apparently, it occurs every 2 to 7 years on average. Other sources said that it occurs every 3 years on average. But that strong El Nino events typically occur every 6 to 10 years. So I mentioned that in a normal year around South America, as you're getting all that warm water pushed west, the cold nutrient-rich water is rising up to the surface. And so this has a very dramatic effect on the amount of phytoplankton that there is, and that affects the amount of fish. So it has a big impact on marine life. There's indirect impacts on, you know, food supplies and prices forest fires, the economy, you know, political implications. There's so many things. And I know you're going to dive into that, Corey. I don't need to now. You just, you just spilled all the beans. <laughs> Stole your thunder. Anyways, I'm fascinated by the way this all works and the fact that it happens. But it is scary to me that in all of this, as much as we know about it and how it works, we can't really predict it. It can just spring upon us at any time and it can have devastating impacts. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, the unpredictability of it uh, definitely adds an interesting element to trying to understand it, to be prepared for it. Um, and the cyclical nature of it also presents some challenges that we'll get into here in a moment. While they can't necessarily predict when they'll happen or how severe each one will be, they are starting to come out with studies saying that they do predict they're going to continue to get worse with climate change. That the more heat that is in the system, in the atmosphere, the stronger they're going to become. And actually, um, just recently, in the last six months or so, they've come out with some studies um, talking about how the, the Arctic melting as we get more closer to a BOE, to blue ocean events and, a, and an ice-free summer, that is supposed to dramatically increase potentially the strength of El Niños in the future. So there you have a little bit of a feedback loop because obviously stronger El Niño events create warmer atmospheres, which intensifies Arctic melting, which in turn makes El Niños stronger in the future. So I'm going to go through and just talk about some of the consequences uh, here of El Niño in different parts of the world and how those are kind of projected to change over time. So we just mentioned Arctic ice. Let's talk about Antarctic um, ice. So there's basically, again, new studies coming up out about this. I think a lot of research about El Nino is actually relatively new. Um, but this new area of study is a report coming out saying that it's projected that stronger El Ninos will mean deeper waters around Antarctic ice, uh, which is going to accelerate the melting of ice shelves and grounding lines from underneath. So we've also seen other reports recently about how like Thwaites Glacier is melting more rapidly than had been previously expected. They're getting cameras in different places and finding that the grounding lines are retreating faster than they thought. And now they're saying that El Nino uh, makes that much worse. What's interesting is they also said that surface temperatures may decrease a little bit, meaning that sea ice may melt more slowly, but overall the net impact is positive on melt. And that's interesting because Antarctica holds like 70 meters worth of sea level potential, right, um, in, in the ice. And obviously we're not expecting all of that to melt. But the faster that it happens, the as the rate increases, the more impact we're going to see on sea level rise and on coastal areas. You mentioned that there is an increase in precipitation um, in the western areas of North and South America. So California, Peru, and Ecuador especially see an increase in rain during El Nino events. This can cause an increase in flooding. Um, we just saw a pretty wild winter in California with the precipitation that went for like 20 days straight almost with all these atmospheric rivers coming in. So atmospheric rivers are expected to intensify during El Nino's just because there is that much more moisture in the atmosphere. Jumping across the other side of the world, Australia will see an increase in fires and droughts. You know, it's interesting to think about this. I had mentioned that the cyclical nature of El Nino neutral years in La Nina is actually a little bit concerning because Australia has now had three years of above-average rainfall. If you remember in 2020, end of 2019, there were those really intense bushfires there right before COVID hit. And the reason the cycle is scary is because you'll have a few years of intense rain, which increases vegetation, right? And then when the Nino comes back and all that vegetation dies, it's just fresh kindling to start new fires again. 
So it is expected that in the year 2023-2024, as we potentially go into a new El Nino, depending on its strength, we'll likely see pretty intense fires again in Australia. And it makes me think of other aspects of kind of that weather whiplash that we've talked about in the past. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you get these years where there's all these fires, and that's destroying the vegetation. And then you get heavy rains, and that just wipes everything away. Right, because there's not the the roots to be able to hold things together. You get big mudslides, stuff like that. Correct. Yep, exactly. And increased flooding because the water isn't being soaked up by the vegetation. Okay, so going to Peru and Ecuador, uh, you mentioned the decrease in fishing. So that used to be like the major impact of El Nino, right? It was sort of what what started the whole uh, noticing of it. So that lack of upwelling that you talked about means that essential nutrients for fish become scarce. The phytoplankton isn't as present. The fish either die or they have to migrate. And that does lead to serious economic issues for everyone whose livelihood is in fishing, right? And not just livelihood, but uh, the food source for people that, that require it. So then speaking about food source, um, this can cause drought and crop failures in eastern South America. So the Amazon, Brazil, Venezuela, other countries in the northeastern side as well, they start to expect less rainfall which can cause crop failure and famine. Um, in the past, it has had serious effects on crops in Brazil, um, like maize and things like that. And this isn't just in those parts of South America. The same thing also happens in the southern parts of Africa. Uh, meanwhile, the eastern part of Africa is receiving more rain. So you're getting just this, this interesting dynamic where parts that usually aren't receiving rain are now getting a lot. Parts that are more used to it are now getting hardly any. And it's incredibly disruptive to the normal um, crop cycles. And especially for countries who reliant on local crops, when that disappears and they're not able to import crops from other places, if they're net exporters, um, it can cause serious issues and famines for those local uh, regions. And obviously this isn't anything new, right? El Nino years have taken place in the past. La Nina years have taken place. We've talked about how this is cyclical. And it's been disruptive in the past, but what's especially scary to me is what we've mentioned here, how the likelihood of those intensifying as we go forward continues to increase as the planet heats up. Yeah, and it's not just um, that they're intensifying, which is a big deal, but they're also being combined with all the other global issues that that are occurring, right? We're already experiencing issues with famine. We're already experiencing issues with drought, with floods, um, the war in Ukraine and all the problems it's causing, supply chain issues because of COVID-19. Like there are so many factors at play that the more and more complex it gets, you throw in things like El Nino's, even if it's just the same strength as they usually are, and it can be the nail in the coffin that, that kind of disrupts things to a point that, that causes serious issues. Okay, so a couple other items here. Um, it increases infectious diseases. So as temperatures rise, it actually creates a more fertile breeding ground for mosquitoes. And there's been a documented increase during El Nino years of dengue and malaria. There's also an increase in cholera around that time. The next one, which I thought was interesting, is that slowing growth of forest in different areas, so less vegetation in certain parts where there's drought, like the Amazon in Africa, India, and Australia, means that less CO2 is being absorbed, which can cause an intensified feedback loop of, of warming. You know, you look at charts of 
CO2 in the atmosphere or of global temperature. And it's always increasing, right, with, with global warming. But there's always these little bumps in it um, caused by El Nino events. And usually um, those bumps seem to accelerate things just a little bit. It doesn't come back down to where it was before. It always remains a little bit higher because there's this bit of a feedback loop that El Ninos cause. So with each El Nino we get, we're getting an intensified warming of the planet. On that note, uh, there's a likelihood of exceeding 1.5 degrees Celsius in the coming years due to El Nino. And there's even the potential that we increase 1.5 degrees Celsius in 2023-2024, depending on how strong the El Nino is. It's said that El Ninos can increase global temperature by as much as 0.2 degrees Celsius. At least that's for previous El Ninos. And where we're now at 1.2 plus degrees above the baseline, uh, yeah, there's potential that we hit 1.5. Now, when they measure 1.5, it's usually the average sustained over a few years' time. So hitting it in one year during an El Nino doesn't necessarily mean that we've surpassed 1.5. But those warming effects that come with 1.5, right, um, hitting that even for just one year makes it more likely that we'll continue to hit it thereafter. Yeah, like you said, it triggers all those feedback loops, the blue ocean events, things like that. Yeah, that's just that's just it. Um, it's such a complex science <laughs> to it, right, that you or I don't understand. And, and frankly, the experts in it in the field don't completely understand. They can use models. They can try and... Um, understand it the best that they can, but there's still so much that's unknown about what stronger El Ninos will do and how fast it'll do it. So one other uh, effect here that I'll mention is in Europe. Southern Europe is expected to get wetter. They'll have more rain, while Northern Europe will be drier and colder. Europe was lucky this last winter uh, in regards to, with everything going on in Ukraine and Russia, the decrease in availability of gas and other energy sources people were really worried that prices were going to sky i mean they did skyrocket but there was less of a need because it's been warmer this year if it had not been as warm as it was a lot of people would have really struggled and suffered or i should say a lot more people would have struggled and suffered under the pressure of those heavy prices and low uh, low supply in an el nino year though going into 2023 2024 Um, if an El Nino does appear, it's going to be very cold in Northern Europe, and that's going to cause a lot of issues with regards to demand for energy. So that's a huge economic problem. It's a huge humanitarian crisis, and hopefully uh, something will resolve with the war and the supply of gas before that happens. Yeah, this is very worrisome to me because my understanding is from 2015 to 2022, uh, those are the eight warmest years on record, and yet we we've had like what three years in a row of a La Nina event. So if we've been in a La Nina cycle, and that's keeping the planet cooler than kind of what it should be, and yet it's been you know the warmest years on record, we flip and we're suddenly in an El Nino year. Like there, there's not any doubt in my mind that it's going to be record-breaking temperatures, and all of those impacts that you described have an immediate effect. But then, like we said, all the the feedback loops that are triggered, all the ways in which that just accelerates global warming, 
on top of, like you said, all of the other issues that we're facing and that we're trying to battle, it feels like a major catalyst for, you know, increasing or accelerating collapse. Yeah, I think we're in for a wild ride. And we'll kind of, uh, probably in our bonus episodes, keep updating on um, El Nino, the strength that it's supposed to have as they come in with more numbers. Um, right now, I think it's, a, it's like a 50% chance of an El Nino starting uh, this fall. And I should say this fall in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but it's every month that goes by, that, ch- that chance just keeps increasing. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.